So uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Thank you all for joining and welcome to another product chat. This is Pragmatic Institute's webinar and podcast series where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product teams. My, my name is Lalita Panacanti and I'm your host for today. So let me take a minute to cover some logistics for you if you hadn't already heard the preamble earlier. Let me remind you to turn on your camera if you can. Uh, we see better engagement when our guest speaker can interact with the community. So we'd appreciate it if you could join that um, and be part of the discussion. We're also experimenting with our webinar format today because we all know that we have quite a Zoom Keep conversational with a fireside chat format. Uh, while I have some pre-prepared questions, I encourage you to submit yours uh, during the session and we'll get to as many as possible. Sarah, Sarah Mitchell from Pragmatic and I will be moderating these along the way and you can send them to everyone in the chat or just to myself. But please do uh, take the time to, uh, to ask questions along the way so that we can keep this engaging. All right, so a quick plug for the new Pragmatic alumni community. I have to say that I'm a founding member, one of the founding members myself. Uh, members of this exclusive online community will find everything from a curated library and peer discussions to member exclusive events. So today, uh, and together with Pragmatic Institute and Product Development Days, Rebecca and I are pleased to bring to you our executive series webinar. We're currently serving as program board members for the PDD and with our virtual event coming up at the end of October, the 27th through 30th. We hope that you enjoy the talk today and register for the event to hear SC and many more great speakers during our virtual summit. You can find out more about that specific event at productdevelopmentdays.com. So let's get, let's get to business here. Our guest today, SC Moadi, is the managing partner of Mighty Capital, Silicon Valley venture capital firm, and products that count, one of the largest global networks of product managers in the world. Previously, she built products that billions of people use at Facebook, Nokia, and Electronic Arts. Andrew Chen, general partner at Andreessen Horowitz, called SC a genius at making mobile products people love. Welcome, SC. We thank you for joining us today. Thank you so right. much for having me. So let's start just with some setting up some context, SC. Tell us about what you're seeing relative to the macro view of the technology product landscape on a global basis. Yes, absolutely. And, and I love the, the super broad opening question. So, you know, what, what we've seen over the past couple of years is that product is really becoming a mainstream function across geographies. Um, it used to be something that was mostly a Silicon Valley function but now it's all over the United States and it's global. We also see that product is expanding across multiple industries. It used to be <clears throat> that product management was this thing that tech companies would do, but now fin uh, finance company, banking, insurance, uh, life science companies, pretty much any industry, e-commerce, retail, um, has a product management function. And so, that these your know, geography and, and industry diversification is uh, a trend that we've seen really accelerate over the past couple of years. It's been delightful to to see how that product network has become. What we're seeing now and what we anticipate in the next couple of years is that the product management function is going to become a C-suite function, and I'm sure there'll be 
plenty of ways for us to, to talk about this today, but that's for us the, the next major step for, for product managers. That's awesome to hear. Um, and actually that's quite pointed considering we are targeting a vast community of product leaders or up and coming product leaders. And so I'm, I'm sure they'll be wanting to, to learn about that path a little bit. Um, you talk about product leaderships and I know you interact with many daily. You talk about the various industries that you've covered as well. What have you observed as some of the, uh, what have you observed as changing, I guess, um, the most because of some of the pandemic and global shifts that we're seeing today? Yeah, so it's been really interesting to see trends already are operating with COVID. And in particular, what happened is in the first phase of COVID, the first, say, couple of months, you know, product leaders were like, okay, how do we just ensure business continuity, right? How do we keep shipping what we were already planning to ship? And that was the, you know, an organizational challenge. But what happened over the past months or two is that what had been planned prior to COVID, which was mostly planned in person, brainstorming, on the whiteboard is, is no longer there. So now you have to do roadmap planning virtually. And so we see that there's a clear sort of polarization almost within the product function between the folks who have a lot of experience and who will just know what to do, know who to call, know how to make you know, the right decisions. And then the people who are early in their career who honestly are, are pretty lost. And so there's a gap mentorship for these people and these junior people you know you can see for your own organization the the numbers that that we see across the industry is that three out of every four product manager has been in their job for less than two years and wow. it's not something that you know, it, it product management is not a role that you just you, know, you don't graduate from it you don't you don't learn it at the university so you, you sort of don't know what you don't know, right? You're in sort of a, a zone of incompetence for a long time until all of a sudden you're in the zone of competence because you've seen enough situations, you've you know faced enough problems, you, you've failed enough time that, okay, now you know how to play the game. So there's this really, really steep learning curve and COVID has completely accelerated that because everybody's stuck at home. Yeah. They're not learning from mentors and peers. That's a really great observation, and I hope that those on the call, you know, whether, uh, whether you're in the stage of your career or, or mature and maybe um, get it or have crossed the chasm of competence, um, you are not alone. And I think that's a very key message to take away from this is um, it is a it is a craft. It's an art and science. And I've observed that as well. Um, we've even spoken at prior events where we talk about we don't hear, you know, as children, anybody saying that I want to grow up to be a product manager, right? Because we just don't know what that is as a child, the fireman or a doctor or a policeman come to mind. But I think uh, there's opportunity to grow in this space. And so that's a great observation. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see how um, the importance of mentorship, uh, skills training um, become even more relevant in this time and what companies are going to take advantage of. So thank you for that. Um, so you, you've talked about some of the challenges relative to the remote world. Um, as you're thinking about days we're in and what we define success for, uh, for our teams, does that change in your mind? Or do you feel that there are some, there are some non-negotiable success metrics that product leaders will look for, but then maybe there's some new metrics or behaviors that we have to think about? 
Yes, I think that's the, the perennial question for product leaders. Like, okay, how do I define success for myself? Like what makes a great product leader? Well, let's say a great product leader has great product managers. So what makes a great product manager? Hmm, well, a great product manager builds great products. <laughs> so what makes a great product? And now here we are like opening up like the Pandora box of, hey, how do you define what makes a great product? Um, you know, where product management originated in, in Silicon Valley, there's this notion that what you need to do is you need to reach product market fit. And this is sort of this mythical notion that, oh, you're going to look for product fit and find market and then you grow. And, you know, nothing couldn't be farther from the truth. First of all, if you don't work for a startup, right, which most of you, I will assume, as product managers, you work for larger companies, there is no such thing as product market fit. There is like a bazillion customers with conflicting needs, <laughs> engineers, salespeople, marketers, who all have requirements for you. Like th there's no such thing as product market fit. So, yeah, and if you work at a startup, even in that sort of relatively simple situation, you're going to look for a product market. You're going to basically find some people who are willing to buy your stuff. And the minute you have that, you actually have product market fit, but you lose product market fit because these customers are going to place new requirements on you that are going to change your product, going to upset some existing customers, and you're going to constantly stumble in and out of product market fit. So the reality is you cannot use product market fit way to define find success product it's a so then what do you use and and in the perspective of saying hey product managers are going to be part of the c-suite table are a, a function that impact top kpis then what you think is okay if that's what i want then revenue is my metric right as a product manager i need to drive revenue so what i recommend using is this uh product equation which is very simple uh, anybody who's done economics 101 will get the product equation. So anybody in the organization you're trying to influence can get that concept, right? Revenue is volume times price. You have volume depends on you know the, the velocity of the business you're in. If you're in a high velocity business like Amazon, you have volume equals number of customers times number of transactions. So one customer, many transactions, time which is price transaction transaction. In a low velocity business, like a car, for example, or real estate, one customer pretty much equal one product, give or take, right? Very simplified. So then, you know, uh, revenue equals number of customers times number of transactions per customer, pretty much one times revenue per transaction. Okay, super simple, very simple product equation. But if you are able to articulate how you're going to drive this number of customers, you have an acquisition strategy. How you're going to drive number of transactions per customer, you have an engagement strategy. And how you're going to drive price or revenue per transaction, you have a monetization strategy. And so that's how I recommend defining product success for product managers and product leaders. Are you able at any point in time to move one of the pieces of the product equation? And so every manager uses this very simple concept with all of their team members. All right, we're in road mapping time. Which of the three key uh, KPIs of the product equation 
are we going to be impacting for the next like two to three months? You'll be surprised how much you can get some consensus around that, like as long as you time bound it. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that because I've seen a plethora of metrics that range from financial to operational to product specific. And sometimes you could get lost in the, in the details, but if you're able to tie any of those um, sub metrics, I, I, I can categorize into kind of the, this equation, then you're able to articulate kind of the value that you'll be able to drive. And I think teams will start getting behind it. So that's great. Um, before I and get to- Lalita, if I can yes. add something to this. Please. What you want to do is you actually want to define particular trick with team. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, revenue equals number of customers times number of transactions per customer times revenue per transaction. Okay. Well, what do you mean when you say number of customers? Do you mean total number of customers? Do you mean number of new customers for the past 30 days? Do you mean most revenue producing customers, like most valuable customers? Do you mean lapsed customers? And having these conversations with your team is actually really what matters because that is what drives the alignment. After that, once everybody understands and buys into what particular submetric you want to drive, you, you know, you, you're, you're already three quarters of the way there because you have alignment. Yeah. I think that's, that's awesome. And it will vary based on product, based on business, based on where you are in the product life cycle, I would assume. So they have to kind of rally around that to be able to, to move it forward. So I appreciate that. Um, exactly. Before we get to kind of one of our lady questions, I see regarding three rules for building products, I'm going to uh, take a couple that I'm seeing in the chat here just to kind of keep up. And then we'll get to that one because I know that that's what people are coming for is kind of the drum, the drum beat. So uh, Tim, Tim noted that he appreciated your statement on product management becoming C-level. Um, he interviewed recently with a CEO just last week and his response was, I had no idea that was product management. So educating C-level seems to be a key key factor, and I've, I've observed that myself as well. What do you feel, SC, are the top three key points that you should use to educate C-level leaders today in that conversation? That's a great question. And, you know, it sort of depends on the culture of your company. If you work in a tech company, you probably don't need to do that education because by nature of the business, right? Product is innovation is the business. So you don't really need that. But if you're not in a technology company, the first is you indicate your uh, executives that look, software is eating the world, right? Like we've all heard that sentence. Uh, if we don't embrace becoming a technology company, then we're going to, we're going to be out of business. Um, and so that's, I think the first message, which is really important because you know, every R&D function in the organization, engineering, design, uh, analytics, um, even product marketing, maybe even marketing when it's very data-driven and product management, we're all aligned in that. We all know that we need to become technology companies. So you can sort of align your R&D team behind that super big message. The second message is there's a complete consumerization of our economy, right? And that's been in the works for the past 10 years with the mobile revolution. And so if you don't listen, embrace the voice of the, con the consumer or the voice of the customer, depending on the type of industry you're in, you're also gonna be, you know, obsolete soon, especially true in highly regulated industries where in life science, you thought maybe you didn't care about customers or maybe even in airlines or in insurance, you yeah. didn't think you, you needed to. 
because you had so many, so much red tape to deal with, so much you know, regulation to handle that the customer was secondary. That's completely changing. And so there you build a sort of a coalition with customer support, marketing, sales, product management, and you educate that technology is driving voice of the, cons uh, of the customer. I think that's the big, big starting point for first driving awareness that technology is a priority. And then it's a fairly quote unquote easy case to go from technology to product because once you have executives who see the value of technology, where are they gonna find business-minded leaders that are also great technologists, that's by definition the product function, right? They're not gonna go to engineering, to technique, they're gonna go to design, business-minded, they're gonna go to product. And so that's why I'm recommending these coalitions because it creates the, the business case for products becoming part of the C-suite. Awesome, and I think we've got um, one gentleman, Tom, that basically validated the fact that he was a CEO of product management and always had a PM at the C-level. And he has found uh, successful that validating and educating the org is critical. Um, so it's part of the culture change. So I think you've just echoed that. So just a commentary from there. Um, just a quick, there's a few requests to just repeat one more time the formula. It seems to have been the, um, the, the secret sauce there as well. So if you don't mind repeating the formula one more time, I'll go back to our chat and then we'll continue to take some more chat questions afterwards. Yes, I'm happy to do that. I wonder, um, Sarah, if we can even share that one screen. Um, can then come put it in as well. New equals times volume. And I think it's broken out further from there, right? Is kind of where you wanted to go as a starting point. Uh, yes, so let me, uh, maybe I don't have it in the slide. So revenue equals number of customers, no, it's not in the slide, number of customers times number of transactions per customer times revenue per transaction. Really simple, right? Like customer, customer, transaction, transaction, revenue. Um, and, you know, People will start asking you, like if we were going to take an example, say Airbnb, for example, okay, what's a customer? Well, wait a minute, there's a host and there's a guest and they're both customers. Yes, guess what? Your product equation may be a lot more complex than this super simplified version I shared with you. There's one for the hosts, there's one for the guests. And then some people will say, wait a minute, what you you take cost into account? Absolutely. Revenue is a super simplification. You could use profit, but if I start using profit, <laughs> then I need like three hours to go through this simple equation. Yeah. So of course this equation will be refined and refined and refined. And that's, that's your job, right? That's the value you add aligning the organization behind something that simple. Awesome. All right, I'm gonna go back to our chat question because I wanna make sure we have enough time to talk about um, your uh, your three rules. So um, you we talked about your extensive experience in the mobile product technology space um, and building those successful products. And you talk about channeling innovation to make us better humans and leaders. So uh, let's dive into a little bit more about this um, relative to your three rules behind great products. Yes. And here's, here's the context for this, right? Like, let's say you are able to implement this, uh, this equation in your organization, you rally people behind this. It's still not enough, right? 
you can you can execute that product equation very well and still not have a great product and we all know these products right they will tell us like put a red button here but that's actually really not a great product even though it boosts the product equation for some reason so the the question then becomes okay so when when i think about what makes a great product like why do i want technology in my life and i and i wrote a, a best-selling book about that about what makes a great product i interviewed you know um dozens of my my peers at the time my background being in product uh, about that question really ultimately i think of technology now as an extension of ourselves uh, we have our phones in our hand watches glasses you know soon clothes and everything tattoos <laughs> um that are technology enabled so technology extension of so if we want to build a great product then really what we're doing is we're building better people and so what i did in my book is i used a framework to describe what makes a great product that's exactly the same framework that people use to describe what makes a great person and this is the slide that you see right here. It's the mind, body, spirit framework. And yes, I'm from California, but believe it or not, there aren't too many frameworks that describe a great person. And so the, I'll start from the bottom. The body rule says we all as people want to look good. And so we expect that our technology will be beautiful. Inevitably, when I say that, um, you know, people say, okay, beauty, what is that, right? It's not just pretty pictures. There's a lot of depth into it and Lalita and I will get into it. It's about efficiency, it's about wall. The other thing people will say is, well, wait a minute, I don't really need that because I work for an enterprise company or I work for sciences or for not, we talked about that massive trend of the consumerization of, you know, our, our society. You need to pay attention to that because if you don't, your competitor will. So that's the body rule, right? We want to build products that are beautiful. Beauty is about more than pretty pictures in technology. It's about efficiency and wow. Second rule, the spirit rule. We all want to have meaningful lives. And so just the same way, we expect that our technology is going to be personalized. And when we personalize technology, which is what I think has massive opportunities still, we've barely scratched the surface, you also need to be mindful of, of privacy and you know protecting people's data and how do you do that and then finally the mind rule where we all want to learn as people you're here because you want to learn everybody wants to learn how do we do that in technology we have that same patient technology learn with us different ways that people learn just like there's different ways that technology learn there's a very sort of systematic uh, scientific way which you may have heard uh, called growth hacking or lean agile which is awesome but it quickly gets diminishing returns uh, and then there's a more um, creative way to learn which is to think you know I, I say think outside the funnel like pretend there is no funnel of growth pretend there is none of that you know optimization of metrics like how do you think outside the funnel to build great products and so we're I know we're going to get into more detail on this. I wanted to give you the uh, the overview. So product equation on the one hand is like the, the, the very simplified way that gets you in the C-suite, but still not enough to build a great product. To build a great product, you need to think about that product formula and apply it. Awesome. Awesome. And I, just a reminder, and I, I think we noted it as well, um, 
details behind what SC just spoke about in a slide deck that will be shared afterwards um, so that you guys can go back and not lose the some of the material um, as a reference point as well. Um, as we as we think about product leaders, um, like many professionals, you know, uh, many are going through personal career transitions um, in this in this time of COVID and time of change, or just rethinking their product strategies and priorities. As you noted earlier, right, what we thought thought we were going to plan had to be had this now have to be accelerated or, or reprioritized. So, if you were to coach them through this, um, what would be some great advice to give uh, a product leader for today and tomorrow? And I'll kind of couple this with a, a few questions that came up um, along similar lines relative to um, some tools or resources to stay up to date um, or even ahead of the product world. Um, you know, being able to apply your own activity to those as any for new PMs as they're thinking about mentorship programs. So, so broadly speaking, you know, from a coaching perspective, how do you think about um, product leaders becoming even better and tools and techniques and things of that nature? Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is a great question. And, you know, since there's no uh, degree in product, it's uh, even more relevant and even more important to stay sharp, right? Like, Pragmatic offers some awesome certification. I'm sure you can uh, reach out to Sarah and she can tell you about it. But still, you know, like once you go to a training, you get out of a training, like there's 2,000 different tools that um, are supporting product managers based on you know, different stages of the product lifecycle. There's, um, you know, lots of different ways to build products across industry, across stages. And so the question is the function of number one like what are the competencies that you need to develop across the product life cycle and so what we did with um, the product leaders of products that come is we formed an advisory board and we asked them uh, they, they come from different industries they come from different uh, geographies they've worked on many many different products very successful ones and we've asked them okay what are the say three, four competencies across each stage of the life cycle, of the product life cycle, that will make a great PM, right? Are the, what are the PM superpowers, if you want? Yeah. Um, and we, we refresh these competencies every year because they evolve. And then the next question, like, so, okay, so these are the competencies. Next question is, okay, what are the tools that support you accelerating, you know, your teams to, to excel at these competencies. And we end up uh, to our network nominations for what tools support you know, each of these, whatever, 20 or so competencies. And we got more than 2,000 <laughs> nominations. So each team, each pod, like in your organization, there's probably like three or four road mapping tools if you work for an organization that's, uh, you know, like a, even an SMB. I mean, it's unbelievable, right? Lots and lots of tools, no clear market winner, uh, it's actually a very, very difficult go-to-market for them because it's not a top-down sale. It's really a bottoms-up adoption. Um, and so every year we have a big product award um, uh, program and, and show where we reward the best products of the year for product managers. And you know what's interesting is when we started doing this, people were like, ah, what are these tools that people are trying to sell me? And now... The reaction we get is completely different. It's like, wow, I didn't know there was a tool that could do 
and that really I impact of our world becoming more virtual, accelerated obviously by COVID, where all of a sudden we're starting to rely so much more on tools than um, than we were before as product managers using kind of Word and Excel. But as all of us know, right, tools are like 10% of the problem or, or 10% of the solution, rather. The rest is really like how you use the tool, how you leverage your influence in the organization. And that is the bigger problem. And it's all about mentorship, right? So how do you get mentorship at scale when you're a product manager or how you offer a solution like that as a product leader? It's a huge challenge because your product managers, just like we were talking about earlier, until they have seen a, a bazillion different situations, they're going to be newbies. And how you expose them to a lot of these situations is actually by reversing mentorship on its head. And instead of saying, have one mentor, mentor several mentees. In fact, what you really need is you need one mentee, have multiple mentors, right? And you have mentors from different industries, different stages of the product life cycle, and so on and so forth. But then you want, you know, a, a reverse one-to-many relationship, like one mentee, several mentors. But at the same time, we know that for one experienced PM, there are three junior PMs. So the, the problem to solve is actually pretty complicated. Yeah. Um, we, we offer, you know, product mentorship at scale in the organization. Pragmatic is another great way to, um, to scale your, your mentorship and, and training. And in fact... Um, the amount of money product management leaders spend uh, out of their budget on, you know, mentorship and, and training, it's about a third uh, or more of their budget. It's a very significant of, uh, of their life. That's pretty good. And I think uh, if you're in a company that does have a budget that's spending a third, I think you're way ahead of the game is also what I'm going to hear what I'm hearing as well. Um, I've seen a lot of examples where, um, you know, you don't have the luxury of maybe that kind of spend. Um, and sometimes it's daunting to bring or introduce a new tool. And so what what the message is to some of the product leaders on this call is, don't get don't use it as a crutch either. I think there are some creative ways of applying uh, the concept of a tool or the concept of a mentorship program and maybe scaling it to kind of what your business needs are and your um, where you can get immediate value rather than having one big road mapping tool that doesn't connect to anything else and then you lose the value of the tool. So I think uh, think about these things in balance, um, but the message is clear is that it it has to be an ongoing evolution of continuous learning through mentorship, through tools, through engagement, um, and then being able to apply it creatively, as somebody mentioned on this chat, uh, to your business. And I don't think there's one size fits all. Is I, I think that's pretty consistent from what, um, what our observations are as well. Um, okay, let me, uh, we talked about some of the tools. I'm going to go back to the chat to make sure I covered some, uh, some key topics here. Um, that would be good. Uh, we talked a little bit about competencies. Do you, can you speak a little bit? Fabian's asking if we can uh, speak about some of the biggest misconceptions about product management among companies that are new to it. Um, well, you know, very, uh, very sim simply, one is, um, oh, product management is actually project management. Uh, and project management, you are a project manager if you, are simply executing 
you know, for um, our monitoring execution on, on tasks. Uh, that is exactly what will get you to, for example, have the product function report to engineering um, because it means you're sort of project managing product delivery or report to marketing because you're project managing some product launches. Uh, so that's a, that's a big misconception. Other misconceptions are, hey, what I really need is find product market fits. Uh, that's, that's all I need to do. Uh, or all I need to do is to instrument uh, a funnel and and have a, a bunch of data that uh, I'm going to monitor and, and track conversion for, and that's going to make a great product. Like not being able to mix a data-driven approach with a more creative approach, right? The the science and the art is is a is a is a trap for most product leaders. Yeah, you need both both sides of the brain. Yeah, that pro the product that is. Uh, a problem that many companies have and, and get stuck in, in a, in a spin. So um, fair point. Um, I've got one more question from the chat and we'll go back to our conversation as well is um, with change being so hyper dynamic, how does one create a product roadmap and plan its evolution? The, the constant problem of we're changing, we've got to go back and reprioritize. And, and I guess is maybe how do we get super agile, I guess, in a way that we're delivering value um, and have the ability to kind of manage change. Yeah. So this really relates to um, this third rule of the product formula, which is the rule of learning. And, um, you know, we all want to constantly evolve as people. We expect that our technology is also going to constantly evolve. So the first thing is you have to go from an unknown unknown to a known unknown uh, situation. And you accomplish that by instrument product, making sure that you have, you know, data along the entire flow of uh, user experience. And you, you only need two tools to do that. You need a, an attribution tool, which is everything that a user does before they touch your product. And then you need an analytics tool, which is everything a user do does once they hit your product. And then you need to make sure they communicate. But once you have that you basically know exactly what's happening at every stage of the um, customer journey, if you want. And so what you do with that is you go from unknown unknown to known unknown, because you have a funnel. And you, you know what happens is maybe 20% of organizations get there, right? So 20% of organizations only are in a known unknown situation. Everybody else, they just don't know what they're doing. They're in what I call the Madman era. era is where someone tells you, hey, I'm going to put a billboard with a plane that takes off because I know that it's going to trigger people wanting to go buy some whiskey. Like, what is that related to? I, I have no idea. I'm creative. I don't know what I don't know. So unknown, unknown, right? But when you're in known, unknown, then what you do is you start optimizing the conversion of this funnel and you do that with growth hacking and, you know, and, and all these methodologies. And um, the problem with that is you're going to do it. You're going to get, you know, 20, 30% increase in your conversion. You slice and dice your funnel. It's, it's awesome. But you will hit diminishing returns if you do this, right? There's only so many times you can swap one page to two page, one red button to one green button. And I know these are very simplified. There's a lot more to it. But there's only so much you can get out of this. And so what you need to do at that point, and this is the 
in class, product organizations, is you need to think outside the funnel. And the way you think outside the funnel is you say, okay, so what if there was no funnel? What if there wasn't any funnel? What if everybody, right, no funnel, everybody, not just my target segment, would adopt my product instantly, right? The funnel has no depth, which is very uh, sort of esoteric, but there's two, two strategies you can apply that, that will really um, accelerate your, your growth this way. The first one is you use what I call shortcuts, which are going to decrease the depth of your funnel. And to do that, you want to think of, um, you know, Amazon um, books you may like. So if you go on Amazon and you look to buy my book, uh, immediately after you buy it, you'll see three books that have been written about building great products. And so you don't need to go and search again, has it a book, what other people who have written about what makes a great product, what are other best-selling books, what have you. You don't need to do that anymore because they're right here for you. And so if you buy these three books, <laughs> what you've done when you're an Amazon PM is you've quadrupled your revenue, right? Instead of one book, you sold four. Well, if you can apply that to selling books, which is a pretty much a dying industry, then you can apply it to any industry. So we applied that in some of the products that I worked on and we tripled revenue. Like that's material, right? That's a product manager that gets into the C-suite. Then the other strategy you can use to make your funnel infinitely wide is um, what I call a hook strategy. And so a hook strategy is, is this, for example, you, um, you real estate, uh, Zillow. On average, people will buy a home once every five years. Well, great, very velocity. Most everybody in this webinar probably wants to know the value of the house they, they live in. And if not that, maybe the value of their boss's house or their ex-husband or wife or what have you, right? And not just once, but also they want to draw trends like, oh, it, it's going up and it makes you happy or it makes you angry. And maybe you start building some charts and some trends around it and you identify pockets of opportunities to buy your next home and so on and so forth. And all of a sudden, for something as, you know, quote unquote boring and as low velocity as real estate, you have created a product that is completely addictive that anybody, whether they can afford to buy a house or not, wants to be a part of. And that's the Zestimate of zero, right? Slightly inflated value of a, of a, a house. If you can create something like this in something as, you know, um, uh, low velocity as real estate, you can also do it for your own product. And all of a sudden, you've completely turned around your go-to-market. When we tried this in products that I've, I've helped you 5X uh, the reach. And so that's another way that you get into the C-suite, right? You 5X the revenue, you got your Done. spot up there. Done. I think it's a lot about um, your outside the funnel, I think is the key message there is think, think outside the constraints that you think you know, or you think you um, your target segment is facing and, and allow yourself to kind of, uh, be creative a little bit and broaden that opportunity. So that's, that's a great, that's a great point because we get, we get caught up in the roadmap and moving, moving features quarter to quarter, but we forget about just taking that step back to, to think that. Thank you for that. A uh, couple of comments on the side. I think, you know, what uh, on our 
conversation about misconceptions. I think there's also a common misconception about product management versus marketing or product marketing. I've, I think that's a fair uh, trend that people have observed. Um, Edward comments that product managers really a jack of all trades and relies on many functional groups across the company. It sounds like networking and learning to listen and ability to influence folks within your own organization are keys. Can you share any other personal traits that are critical? So you talk about product management competencies, but what about some of the softer skills or some of those personal traits other than influencing, listening? Um, can, you, can you highlight one or two more? Yeah, I mean, if you listen and, and influence, you're sort of back in the project management category, right? You also want to have some of the visionary skills that will make you a product leader as opposed to a project leader or project manager. So how you accomplish that, um, you know, being a vision is not about um you know being the a god or a rock star right being a visionary is really staying sharp like staying sharp on technology staying sharp on best practices staying sharp staying sharp on on you know um on tools on on uh, management and leadership best practices so a lot of it in the product management function right now is done through uh, a lot of networking and a lot of learning and it's kind of back to that mentorship and when you're at a junior level mentorship is you know you sort of receive the best practices but when you're at a more senior level you you share right you give back to the junior folks and you share with your peers and and that's how you um that's how you stay sharp that's how you're you're into the visionary uh realm, not not just project management yeah i think we're just about at the the end of our time. So um, I know we've probably got to most of our questions, but not everything. Uh, but before we formally wrap and kind of close out some slides, can are there like a couple of things that you would recommend our audience can take action immediately to help them be product managers and build those great products? Like what is your call to action for them? Yes, you know, what I would encourage you to do is sign up to learn something new like at least every week and ask your product managers to do the same, like make it mandatory because your role in the organization is to bring innovation to scale. And if you don't stay sharp, if you don't reinvent yourself, if you don't develop sort of critical thinking, yeah. you won't be successful. You won't be a C-suite function. So learn something new and ask your teams to learn something new. That's awesome. And I think that's probably a broader life a very complex but very exciting space to be in as well. And I think Herman also mentioned the critical thinking mindset is it is truly halfway there as well. Um, I think we'll take a pause there because we are um, at the end of our uh, time. Essie, uh, uh, what is the best way for questions that may not get answered? How would you ask the audience be able to maybe connect with you or reach out um, for, for more engagement? Yeah, absolutely. So two things. One is you can subscribe to our newsletter, um, productsthatcount.com, P-R-O-D-U-C-T-S-T-A-J-T-C-O-U-N-T.com, or you can email me, um, sc at productsthatcount.com. Awesome. Awesome. So for those of you, if we didn't get to all the questions or after you get off the call and you realize that there's some not a new uh, light of inspiration with other questions, um, SC is available as a leader in our community. 
So um, again, just as a, uh, as a reminder, this webinar, executive webinar series was brought to you today by Pragmatic Institute, as well as Product Development Days, PDD. Uh, please come and join us. If you enjoyed the talk today, please come and join us and register for our virtual event, uh, October 27th through 30th. Um, as part of Mastering Product Leadership. You'll hear uh, many conversations such as this and continue to be able to network and, and extend your reach. You'll hear from SC as well as many other um, community uh, leaders as well that we hope will inspire you and uh, provide practical insights. The next product chat um, not is going to be posting August 11th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time. And it's about pricing products competitively in the current landscape. So um, please join uh, the next Pragmatic Product Chat. Um, again, August 11th on pricing products competitively in the market. And I think that is a wrap for us, if I'm not mistaken. So thank you so much once again, SC. It was a really engaging conversation. I'm sure many of us could probably sit and pick your brain for hours. Um, wish we could all do so in person at, at some point as well. But thank you so much for your uh, partnership and your time today. Um, and thank you everyone for being active on the chat and being um, engaged through this uh, webinar. We hope you found value um, in, the, in the content, in the conversation. We hope you took away something new to inspire you um, and join us for the next product chat. See you next time. <laughs>